Praise the Lord. Colossians chapter 1 is where we left off. Tonight, I want to say something to you um, and talk to you as both mature believers and maturing believers. Uh, Tonight's message is, is, is more of probably less of a, wow, that's a good encouragement, I want to jump up and shout, and more of an encouragement of, of something that is vital to the body of Christ. And what's vital to any body is that there is healthy growth. Now, often in the church, when we talk about growth, we're talking about numbers. You know, how many people were added to your church? Praise the Lord. I mean, more people added means more people receive Jesus. So I'm happy about that. But even bigger than that is that people would grow in themselves, that people would grow up into Christ, that, that we would mature in Christ. And, and you know, um, I've said this so many times, you might be tired of me hearing this or saying this, but um, it used to be for me, I, my perspective uh, growing up was, and, and nobody made me think this, I just kind of assumed it, that the most spiritual thing you could do was just to stand alone and say, I don't need anybody but Jesus. But the more I read the scripture, the more I find out that that's not the way it should be. That we have been created with an innate need for one another. That's why you are not the body of Christ by yourself. You're a part of the body. And uh, so God, yeah, as we've discovered, and as you've discovered in scripture, that, that of all the great things God does... In almost every case, he wants to use people to do it, right? So, you know, we know that God is a healing God. He's a healer. When Jesus walked the earth, Jesus healed many people. He said, it's not my work, it's the Father's work that does these things. It's the Father that's healing, but he used Jesus to do it. Through the book of Acts, we see that he used the men and women of God to do that work of healing. In the book of James, it says that the the elders of the church would be called and healed. Mark 16 says, believers of any stripe would lay their hands on the sick and they would recover. So it's God that's doing the healing, but he's using people to put hands on someone. Uh, it's God that's providing needs, and uh, meeting needs and, and being provision, and yet he calls his people to be the givers, right? And so we understand that God has great things to do on this earth, and he wants to use people to do it. He doesn't bypass people. He wants to use people. If he wanted, he could preach the gospel with the angels. The angels could come on and put a great show, do, do what they did for the shepherds, and make it amazing, and preach the gospel all over the place. But God doesn't do it that way. He called us to preach the gospel. So we are, we are involved at every level of what God is doing. And yet we understand it is not of us, but it is of God. It's God at work. Philippians says it is God both at work in us, both to will and to do his, what he wants us to do. So we're, we're part of the process here, guys. And when it comes to growing up, We know that God causes the growth of the church. We know that. Jesus said, upon this rock, I'll build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We know that he's the one that causes the growth. Paul said, I watered, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. But one thing we have to understand is that often God, even though it's God giving the growth, it's God using his people to do that. It's God causing the body to, Uh, to cause the body to grow. I'll show you that in Ephesians 4. Hold your place in Colossians for a moment. And just just peek over here with me in Ephesians. 
He says, uh, in verse 11, Ephesians 4.11, he says, He gave some as apostles, some as prophets, some as evangelists, and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. Until we all attain to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature person, to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of God, or fullness of Christ, rather. As a result, we're no longer to be children. So you, you realize that he had to tell you, you, you can't stay a kid. You know, um, there are certain things that you need to engage in to grow. I mean... Um, when it comes to a, a natural child, as long as they're eating, uh, as long as they're, they're, they're getting the proper nutrients, there's really nothing that's going to stop them from growing. They don't have to choose to grow. They're just going to grow. But in the scripture, there's moments like Ephesians, or sorry, Hebrews 5, where he goes, you guys should be grown up by now. What's happened? You guys are still acting like kids. You're still kids. You should be teachers by now. And he says, uh, the problem is, is you were co coming along, but you kind of went backwards. Uh, and he talks about how uh, part of this growing up has to come with practice. It has, to, it has to come up. The discernment that you need to know between good and evil comes by practice. You know, uh, in, in 1 Corinthians 3, he says, I, I wanted to talk to you like mature believers, but I'm having to talk to you like babies because you're still acting like kids. You're st you haven't matured. You're still fighting amongst yourselves. You're still picking favorites. He said, you need to grow up. And here he says, we've got to grow up. In fact, this is why we're being taught, so that we could go do ministry together. And that the body would build itself up. And then here's what he says. Keep reading. He says, as a result, we're no longer to be children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by the trickery of men, by craftiness and deceitful scheming. He says, but speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. Listen, growing up in all aspects means you don't just get to grow in your favorite area. You don't just get to grow in the, in the topic you like. You grow up in every aspect. And it says here, it, we're, we're not just growing up to some abstract tall person. We are growing up into Christ. Isn't that awesome? We're growing up to be more and more like Jesus every day. Now, the cool thing is, is that the spirit was, that was given you the moment you were born again, the moment you were born again, you were given a spirit made in the likeness of God. Isn't that awesome? It says you were recreated in likeness and in holiness and likeness of the truth. So you were created just to be just like God, just to, to have his nature about you, to have his, his love and his goodness. And yet, we're also, there's, there's, there's a whole bunch of things that come with it. You know, the Bible tells us we need to renew our mind. That's how we're conformed to the image of the Son. That's how we're transformed, is by the renewing of our mind. Here it says, we've got to speak the truth in love. We are to grow up in all aspects into him who is the head, even Christ. And then it says in verse 16, from whom the whole body, being fitted and held together by whatever joint supplies, according to the proper working of each individual part, causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. That's a great phrase. He says the body builds itself up in love. 
Sometimes we just think, well, if God wants me to grow, I'll grow. He'll make me grow. But, but here there's, there's, there's responsibility given to you. Guys, God wants you to grow. He's given you everything you need to grow. You were designed to grow, but you have to choose to grow. And, and, the, and the, you can't read this chapter and separate yourself and go, well, the way I'll grow is I'll lock myself in my room for three years and just study. <laughs> right? But, you know, it just said a big part of your growth is speaking the truth to each other in love. Mm-hmm. Now, that's interesting. Now, you might think, well, that means preaching the gospel to one another. I don't think that's what he means. I think speaking the truth to one another in love means that you say things that you don't even want to say. It'd be easier if you didn't say them. But you say them in love. You know, and in and, and, and doing this, that somehow we're growing up together into Christ. Now, it says there's something supplied by the joints. That's when body parts come together. That's when people come together. There's, there's a supply of the Spirit when my gift and your gift and my, who God created me and who God created you to be, I might be a nose, you might be an ear, but when uh, I might be a forearm, you're a, you're a bicep, but when these parts come together, there's something greater than the sum of the parts. And it says that when each part works individually, it causes the growth of the body for the building up of itself in love. Love doesn't operate in a vacuum. You don't need love in your closet by yourself. You need love when you come in contact with people that rub you the wrong way. You need love when you come in contact with people that are helping you to grow even though you would rather them just leave you alone. Right? And, and, and what's cool about it is, is that God put a bunch of us together, very diverse, and, and we are, when you put a bunch of people together that wouldn't hang out, if not for Jesus, then when we're walking in the spirit, we get along just great. But the minute we step back into the flesh, just in our old way of doing things, there's conflict, there's tension, there's friction. Even when we're walking by the spirit, there's friction sometimes. And that's part of growing, right? You know, there, there's, there's tension and friction within my own soul at times. You know, I got to choose to praise the Lord when I don't feel like praising the Lord. I didn't need anybody else to cause that tension. That was already there. I feel like doing this, but I'm choosing to do this. And it's in those moments when you choose to do what you don't feel like doing that your soul is shaped and molded to be more like Jesus. There's a phrase we're going to read in Galatians in a minute. And it's this phrase that Christ would be formed in you. It's one of my favorite phrases in the Bible. I want you to think about it just for a minute. Think about it without me having to talk too much about it. That Christ would be formed in you. What does that mean to you? What does that mean to you that Christ would be formed in you? We already know that Christ is in you. He's the hope of glory. But what does Christ being formed in you mean? When we talk about Christ being formed in us, that means... That we're being formed into his image. That there's something in us that's changing because of our relationship with Jesus. I found that Christ is most formed in me when, in, in the times I'd rather avoid. The arguments I don't want to have. The, the, the confrontations I'd rather walk away from. These are the moments when I choose love instead of revenge. When I, when I choose forgiveness instead of anger all of these things, these are wonderful opportunities for Christ to be formed in you. 
Back to Ephesians here, it says that the whole body is fit together. God puts us together, and it builds itself up in love. Without love, there's no oil for the engine. And the gears just grind against each other. It, 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 you're going to have a breakdown. You're going to have a seize up. It's not going to work. Love is the thing that makes the whole thing work, right? So I, I don't know. You've probably had a well-meaning Christian in your life that spoke the truth to you, but not in a whole lot of love. Right? And what does it do? It just causes problems. You know, we've had these conversations. As a pastor, I know you've had these issues because it usually eventually ends up at my desk. And uh, sometimes, you know, sometimes I, I will say, you know what? They're not wrong. But the way they handled it was entirely wrong. And, and I, you know, you always have to check your motivation. Why did I feel like I needed to say that to that person? Did I feel like that, that I needed to be judge, jury, and executioner? Did I feel like I needed to show them I knew more? Or did I have genuine love for them? And I wanted them to grow. And I believe God had put me in a position to say something that would help them to grow and help them to come closer to Jesus. That's what love will cause you to do. Love is... All those things in 1 Corinthians, it's patient, it's kind, it's not arrogant, doesn't seek its own way, it, you know, it rejoices in the truth, doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. All these things that love is come out when you're speaking the truth in love. And back to Colossians, read this with me. He says in verse, let's just start in 28. He's been talking about the mystery. We talked about this last week, the, the fact that he was chosen to proclaim the mystery of Christ to these people, and he had taken his lumps for it. By the time we get to verse 28, it says, we proclaim him, we proclaim Christ, admonishing every man, and women, that includes you too. He's, he's saying every human, every person. Admonishing every person and teaching every man with all wisdom, so that we may present every person complete in Christ. We proclaim him. So there's a lot of stuff here. The first thing he did was proclaim him. See, that when you show up in a new city like Paul did, you don't show up with your textbook point by point trying to teach them, you know, theology, you know, 101. You proclaim the gospel, Right? You proclaim the kingdom. That's what Paul did. It says he went about preaching the kingdom in every village he went. So in every city he went. So he would usually, his method was, he'd usually go straight to the synagogue and he would preach Jesus as the Messiah. And then eventually he'd get kicked out of there and he would preach to the Gentiles. In every city you see this pattern. He starts in the synagogue until they get tired of him. Then he goes and preaches to the Gentiles. And he preaches a little different to the Gentiles than he does to the Jews. When he goes to the Gentiles, he doesn't say, our father Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He, he, he actually preaches Jesus in a different way because they don't know who Abraham is and they don't really care. Right. So he doesn't preach Jesus as the Messiah, although they're going to learn that eventually, but it's not the first thing he says. And often you'll see miracles and healing, signs and wonders, evil spirits cast out. And that itself is a testimony of the power of God and the power of the cross. And, and this is demonstrated in a public square often. So the first thing you do is you just proclaim Christ. But then there's other stuff that happens. He says, we're admonishing every person. Admonishment happens when uh, you, you need some corrective Speaking, all right? So admonishment is not a dirty word. It's a good word. It just means that, you know, we're, 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 
you know, sanding the rough edges. We're straightening the crooked paths and, and, and we're, we're pointing people back to the right way. He says we're admonishing every man. Sometimes that looks like a loving rebuke. Sometimes it looks like a bit of correction. And we're teaching everyone, every person, with all wisdom. You know, all wisdom, you don't have all wisdom, neither did Paul. Nobody's got all wisdom but God, right? So where is he getting all this wisdom? It's by the Spirit of God. So, you know, the, the wonderful thing about speaking truth is that nobody asked you to speak truth based on your powerful intellect. We're meant to be led by the Spirit, speak by the Spirit of God. And when you speak by the Spirit, it's always going to be in love. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't work outside of love. Right? You know, 1 Corinthians 13 says, if I were to do all these great things, if I had faith to move mountains, if I, had, if I could prophesy and, and speak in the tongue of men and angels, but I didn't have love, it wouldn't count for anything. There'd be nothing in it. The Bible actually says it's the Holy Spirit that pours out the love of God in our hearts. So, so when we're doing this by the Spirit, then love's in it. If love's not in it, the Spirit's not in it either. Now it says here, remember, he has given us the spirit of power, of love, and of a sound mind. So the Holy Spirit is a spirit of love. It's a spirit of power. It's a spirit of a disciplined mind. He says here that we're teaching every man with all wisdom so that we may present every person complete in Christ. Now, not long later in this letter, he actually says, you have been made complete in Christ. Like, Everything, he says, all that God was, was in Christ. All the fullness of the Godhead dwelled in Christ Jesus. And then it says, and you've been made complete. But literally in the Greek, he uses the same word that he said, all the fullness of God dwelled in Jesus. He goes and he says, and you've been made full in him. Wow. In context, it's pretty powerful. Because he just finished by saying, everything that God was, was in Jesus. And you've been made full in him. In Christ, you have everything you need. But now, this completeness that he's talking about here is, doesn't seem to be an automatic thing. It's something that he had to teach. He had to admonish. He had to uh, 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 proclaim. All of these things had to happen so that you could be presented complete. Now, this word complete, listen, in the scripture, there's, there's three words that pop up over and over again, complete, mature, and perfect. And, and a lot of times, these are, these are coming from the same actual word. So sometimes when you see the word perfect in the New Testament, it's saying it couldn't be improved upon, right? Like when we talk, talk about the perfect will of God, it is perfect. It's, when we talk about the perfect sacrifice that Jesus made for us, it means you can't improve upon it. It is perfect. Without any, without any flaws, you can't make it better. You can't add to it. It is perfect. But there's another word that's translated for perfect in our New Testament. And it doesn't mean it's, with, it's just, you know, it's, it's, it's perfect as in it has no flaws. It actually means to be mature, to be completed, to, to bring to completion. So sometimes when you see in the scripture that we're, God wants to present us as bring us up to a perfect man. He's not saying that we're going to be, that we're just, you know, in 2021, we're just going to be without flaws. But it means that God is bringing you to a place of maturity. And that's often used in the New Testament. There's this idea of you've come fully into your, 
your manhood. You've come fully into your womanhood. You have fully matured. And the, the Bible often translates that in my translation as perfect. It doesn't mean that you are um, just, I can't find anything wrong with you. You've never made a mistake in your life. That part was done by the blood of Jesus. But when it's talking about perfect in this context, he's talking about maturity, completeness. I've been brought up to the level I was supposed to be at. He says, we want to present everybody complete in Christ. And that's why we teach. And that's why we preach. And that's why we admonish. He goes on in in the next verse. He says, for this purpose I labor, striving according to his power. Now that's such a great way to put it. I'm laboring. I am striving. But listen, according to his power. So he says, I'm working hard, but it's not me working. It's the power of God working in me. And it's not by my strength that I'm doing this. But I am striving according to his power. He said something similar to the Corinthians. He said, I worked harder than all the other apostles. But it wasn't me working. It was the grace of God working with me. So when he's talking about this striving, we know striving in the flesh, that was under the law. When we strove under the flesh, it led to death. That striving led to nothing. In fact, the scripture says, cease your striving. Right? Because you're just doing it in your own flesh. Man, if I just, these people aren't getting it. If I just yell at them a little bit more. If I just preach on this topic one more. When we preach that way, or we try to encourage that way, and we're doing it in our flesh, Flesh never gets spiritual results. I've had people before say, so when you were preaching there, you were talking about me, you were, couldn't you just talk to me? You know, like you were, you, <laughs> I know you were talking about me. And I've had to say this, and I'll say it to you right now. I have never, as far as I can remember, I have never preached uh, trying to, trying to, you know, answer your questions or trying to argue with you from the pulpit so you can't argue back. I have never tried to manipulate you with preaching. No, 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 no. We preach the word of God by the spirit of God. And when God deals with you, it's God. Listen, I, I will be honest with you. If I got a problem with you, I will come to you directly. I won't hide behind this clear pulpit. That would be pretty cowardly because you can't talk back to me, right? I'll, that's, because you know what the flaw with that is? Is that will only breed rebellion in you. That will only breed rebellion in you because it's just me trying to make you do something. Not only that, but I'll just be targeting one person. Too bad for everybody else. They just had to stand there while you got spanked from the pulpit, you know? <laughs> Nobody wants that. But when we preach in the power of God, we preach the word of God, then the Holy Spirit talks to everybody. And you know how many people come up to you and go, how did you know? I didn't know. I still don't know. But the Holy Spirit knows what you need to hear. And half the time, the people that say, how did you know? They tell me what I preached about. And I go, I didn't even preach really about that. But it's what you heard because it was the Spirit of God. See, when we do things by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit does the work. And there's good results. There's good fruit for the Spirit, right? The fruit of the Spirit is good. The fruit of the flesh, what does it end up with? Bitterness, jealousy, strife, division. That's a temptation of every minister when you get frustrated to speak out of frustration. And it only yields more frustration. It cost Moses his trip to the promised land. 
He got frustrated with the people, so he hit the rock with his staff when God said, speak to the rock and water will come out. He got mad at the people because they were grumbling and complaining again. So he got mad and he hit the staff on the rock. He did something in the flesh that he was meant to do in the spirit. And there was a reason he was supposed to speak. Because God told them early on to strike that rock with a staff early in their journey. But the Bible tells us that rock symbolized Christ. And the water symbolized the Holy Spirit. And Jesus does not need to be struck twice. He was struck once for us. And never again would he have to die. So when Moses hit that staff against the rock, he wasn't working by the Spirit. He was working by his own flesh. And God actually told him, you stepped out, you got angry with the people, and you can't go in with that attitude. He's still a great prophet, but you know, I don't want to get into that place where out of frustration you try to get people to move. Have you ever seen that? I've seen preachers do it. I probably have done it once or twice without knowing, but you're frustrated that people aren't getting into it. So you yell a little louder and you work a little harder. Well, you know what? It doesn't do what you want it to do. But if you let the Holy Spirit do his work. Now, listen, I'm talking as a pastor, as as somebody who's preaching, but with all of us, you know, the Bible doesn't say, hey, preachers, speak the truth. He says, you guys, everybody speak the truth in love. So you always have to ask, why am I saying what I'm saying? Why am I saying what I'm saying? Realize this. God wants to use us to cause each other. He wants to cause every member to cause the other members to grow. So there'll be times where God calls you to say something, and it's not going to do you any good, but it's going to do good to the hearer. The Bible says, only say such a word which will minister grace to the hearer. What does it mean to minister grace to the hearer? Grace is what God does that we couldn't do, right? Grace is the work of God. Beyond my strength, it's his strength. So when I minister grace to the hearer, I am ministering a word to them that's saying God can do this. There's power in it. There's life in it. When they hear it, they'll put their faith in God. When they hear it, they'll say, I can't do it, but Christ in me is is more than enough. That's grace being ministered to you. Uh, There's plenty of times I've heard a sermon preached and I can't wait to get up and go. In a good way. Like, not like I can't wait to get out of here. I can't wait because I'm getting so full of life and faith. Because what they're saying is ministering grace to me. I, I, I used to think, well, I, I can't do that. I've tried to do that. And then when they preach the word, faith comes. And I realize God can do it. That's ministering grace to me. I'm excited now. I want to go. Let me out of this building so I can go do what you just said. Because it's Christ in me working. And he goes on and he says this, that... That I labor, striving according to his power, which, listen to this, mightily works within me. And that could be, you could think that's arrogant, but he's not saying I did anything to make that happen. It's just Christ's supply is more than my need. It's working mighty in me, so I'm going to use it. He says, for I want you to know, chapter 2, verse 1, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have on your behalf and for those who are at Laodicea and for all those who have not personally seen my face that their hearts may be encouraged having been knit together in love and attaining to all the wealth that comes from the full assurance of understanding resulting in a true knowledge of God's mystery. That is, here's the mystery, Christ himself in whom are hidden 
all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now this is big because he's saying, I've been laboring. I've been struggling for people that won't even see my face. Well, how have you been struggling, Paul? If they've never seen your face, how are you struggling for them? Well, in two ways. He, he's been working with them. He's been teaching them when they didn't want to be taught. He's been correcting. But even bigger than that, if you read these letters that Paul writes, he prays for the church all the time. He's always praying for them. He's saying, for, he's saying things like, for this reason I bow my knees before the Father, that your, heart, that your hearts would be enlightened, that you would know the riches of inheritance. Like he, he has spent time interceding for the church. There's nothing he wants for them that he's not willing to spend time praying for it. And boy, do I hear this. Does this speak to me as, as a pastor? And it should speak to you as well because I'm not the only one that God called to uh, play a part in people's lives and, and help disciple. But boy, as a pastor, I think about this church. I think about the church in Loon Lake. First and foremost, I think about those groups of people. And am I taking as a responsibility, God's called me to intercede, that people would have spiritual breakthrough in a sense that they would, their hearts would be flooded with light, that they would understand some things they don't understand, that they would get closer to Jesus, that their hearts may be knit together in love. He says, I'm struggling for this. And that sometimes struggle's a bad word, but sometimes it's a really good word. I've been fighting for this. I, that word struggle in the Greek means to contend for something, to basically to contend for a prize. It's what an athlete would do. This is what I've been working towards. This is what I've been training for. This is what I've been running for, is that your hearts would be knit together in love. Now remember, he said that's how you're going to grow is through love. The closer we get to each other and to Christ, the more mature we are. He says, I'm fighting for this. I'm working for this. I'm striving for this. I want you to know, Word Church, that, that you have people that are fighting for this for you. And we should all take that, that God's going to call us to fight together for this purpose. It's worth struggling. It's worth laboring for. It's worth contending for. For a moment, I just want to read you something in chapter 4. Skip down for a minute. He says, well, he talks about Epaphroditus. He says, I'm amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you sent. And he says this, it's a fragrant aroma, it's an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. And I'm reading out of Philippians. I don't mean to read out of Philippians. I was wondering why that didn't match up with anything I wanted to say. <laughs> I was like, boy, I must have messed up that verse. I don't know what's going on. I'm in the wrong place. You know, that really encourages me that I didn't get my sermon all the way wrong. <laughs> but he does, uh, let's skip down. Epaphras. See, Epaphras and Epaphroditus, they might even be the same person. If, if, so we're going to go down to Colossians 4, verse 13. Or verse 12. Let's start in verse 12. Epaphras, who is one of your number, he's a bond slave of Jesus Christ, sends you his greetings 
always laboring earnestly for you in his prayers. He says, Epaphras, one of the things that we can say about Epaphras is that he is a bond slave of Christ. That means he has committed his life to serving Jesus. He said, I'm not serving me, I'm serving Christ. And here's how I do it. He is always laboring earnestly. Earnestly, sincerely, it's with fervency, it's, it's with passion, it's with, it's with everything he's got. He is laboring earnestly for you in his prayers that you may stand perfect. So when we say perfect, what do we mean? Mature, complete, that, that God would complete what he started in you. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Now, if you think that happens against your will, I, I, I'd say the scripture shows otherwise. I mean, there are some things that happen we didn't intend to happen, and God is so merciful he does it anyways. But, you know, the, if that just happened, whether or not you were engaged or not, I don't think he'd have to tell you to grow up and to not be kids anymore. I think you have to agree with him. God wants to grow you and, and complete you and, and mature you. And he says that one thing that Epaphras is doing is that he's, he's at home or wherever he is, and he's laboring earnestly in his prayers. And I want you to think about your prayer life for a minute. I'm not here to judge your prayer life. I'm not here to make you feel like you haven't prayed enough. But I just want you to think how we were taught to pray. Many of us were taught to pray um, and rightly so, whenever I have a need, I should go to God. Right? Like, that's not wrong. The Philippians tells us, worry about nothing, pray about everything. Right? <laughs> if you have a need, bring it to the Lord. But that's not the only type of prayer we should be doing. So a lot of people's prayer life is almost constricted to just, here's what we need. Here's God, I need you to do this, 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 and this. And there's a lot more to prayer than that. Of course, we know there's relationship. There's intimacy with God. There's the... The, the speaking and listening. But then there's also this, the intercession. And intercession is such an important part of our prayer life. But some of us, you might just say, nobody ever taught me how to do this. Maybe you've said, I've never been around anybody that was really interceding. I, I don't know. I've, maybe you say this, I've been around people that were interceding for the nation or Israel or something else. They were interceding about big picture stuff, but they weren't interceding for people. Maybe they were praying for people that were in great trouble. They're praying for somebody that's in the hospital. They're praying for somebody who's having trouble at school. They're, you know, something like that. But have we, do you spend a lot of time praying for people that seem to be doing all right? but praying these things that they would grow in Christ, right? Because we go, well, I don't have time for that. I'm just putting out fires. I'm praying for people that are in trouble, <laughs> you know? Uh, I wonder what would change in our church if we had people that would say, there needs to be more love. Let's pray. God wants people to grow. They're doing fine. You know what I mean? They're doing fine, but God's got more for them. He wants them to grow up. So let's pray right now that that happens. He says, Epaphras is laboring for this. So it's not an easy thing to pray. You know, there are some things that are really easy to pray. I don't know if you know, but there's some things that are very easy for me to pray. I, and they're not difficult, and I love them, and they're, they're fun. I love 
praying. I love, I love praising God in my prayer. I love thanking him. I love adoring him. And I, I, love, I love all of that. But you know, this sounds like the one where you're having to fight a little battle here for somebody. Uh, I think laboring usually looks like I have a thousand other things I want to do. But I'm going to stay here until I feel a victory. I feel a release from the spirit that I've prayed through this. Epaphras, he's a guy that gets talked about not because he's a good preacher. He never gets mentioned as being a preacher. He never gets mentioned as doing anything on a stage or in a public square. But he gets mentioned as being a servant. And he gets mentioned as being uh, somebody that's laboring for the church. Wow. Paul, like I said before, we have plenty of examples where he says, I do this too. In Philippians, he says, I thank my God for you. And every time I think of you, I mention you in my prayers. Every time I think of you, I mention you in my prayers. Ephesians, he talks about how I've been praying for you. Galatians, Colossians, he talks about how I've been praying for you. It's all through the scripture. Epaphras is one of your number. Listen to that. He's one of you. He's not a superstar. He's not some guy who just, the only reason he likes you is he doesn't really know you. You know, we say that. You like us because you don't know us. But if you got to know us, you wouldn't like us so much. You think we're great because you don't have to hang around. No, Epaphras is one of you guys. He's been with you. He's got a heart for you. One of your number is, is laboring. The reason you're having breakthrough, you just think you're blessed by God. You just think he must love us more than other people. Maybe the reason you're having breakthrough is that somebody you don't even know about is praying for you. What would happen if we all said, I want to be that guy? I want to be that person. I'm willing to labor through it. I'm willing to pray when I feel like I don't want to do this anymore. I'm going to do it for them. I'll do it for Christ. And he says... He's laboring, he's always laboring earnestly. That means every time I walk by this kid, he's praying. Paul's like, every time, I mean, sometimes I just want to talk to him. Epaphras, I just want to talk to you about how your trip was. Can you just stop praying for a bit? But he's noticing that Epaphras is constantly praying for the church. That you would stand perfect and fully assured in the will of God. Wow. So he's praying, God, I pray, Lord, that what you started in them, you're going to complete. Lord, that you're bringing them to maturity. Lord, that you're causing them to grow. Father, that your will would be done in their life, that they would know your will, that they'd walk in your will, that they would have an assurance of your will. Like he's praying this stuff through. And it's working. Said he had a deep concern for them. You know, sometimes there's concern that comes from Fear, and there's concern that comes from doubt, but there's concern, there's a godly concern, which means I, I, I care about you. Concern isn't always worry. Concern can mean like a mother is concerned for her child. It doesn't mean she's worrying about her child. It means that she sees that child as her responsibility. He's got this concern for you, and he's constantly praying for you. For I testify for him that he's a deep concern for you and for all those who are in Laodicea and Hierapolis. That's a lot of people that he's been praying for. I want to read you that verse in Galatians that I mentioned real quick. He says in Galatians chapter 4. 
Verse 19 says, My children, with whom I am again in labor. Now, now the other words for labor were like work. This word for labor is the word that a mom who's about to give birth to a child has. He says, I'm in labor for you. And I'm sure the women were like, you don't know. <laughs> don't you, you don't get to use that phrase, Paul. But I think he's saying it by the Spirit. He's understanding, listen, he's understanding, he says, I'm again in labor for you. Listen, he's saying, there's, another, there's other verses where he said, I was like a mom who gave birth to you. I was there when you got saved. I was there when the church started. But I feel like I'm in labor again because there's something that needs to happen in you that hasn't happened and I've been praying through it and I've been working and I've been preaching to you so that what God has on the inside of you would be fully formed in you. That Christ himself would be formed in you. And it's worth me going back into labor so that this could be produced in you. Now, I'm just saying to myself, as I'm reading this, I'm going, do we care about each other like that? Because there's been an individualism in the church that says, I'm responsible for me and me alone. And listen, if I don't get it done, it's my fault. Well, I understand that. But you know, the Bible also says, let the strong bear the burdens of the weak. It says, encourage one another day after day as long as it's called today. See to it that no one falls short. See to it that a root of bitterness doesn't go in anyone. See to it that you're all diligent to enter that rest. You know how many times he puts the responsibility on us to see to it that we're all making it together. That Christ would be formed. It's worth laboring for. It's worth striving for. It's, It's worth it. For this purpose I strive, according to his power, which mightily works within me. Once again, I just want to say this to you. The labor, the struggle, the striving is always according to the power of God. Once again, let me warn you. If we do this out of the flesh, if I just push him a little further, if I just nudge him a bit more, if I, if I just, you know, confront him, then we'll only cause rebellion in them. We're only going to cause offense. We're not, there's not going to be the fruit of the Spirit. So when we're laboring in prayer, I've seen people pray, and I can't judge their heart, but it sure appeared to me like they were trying to make this happen by how pathetic I sound or how hard I pray. You have to just trust in prayer that I'm not making this happen. God's making it happen. I've seen people that just seem to be trying to force that thing to come. And what we want to do is to hear what God says and to pray that out. There's a beautiful chapter in Ezekiel 36 that God paints a picture and he says, these are all the things I want to do for you. These are all the things I want to do for the house of Israel. They don't, they haven't earned it. They don't deserve it, but I'm doing it for me. And then he says, these are the things I want to do for you. I'm going to let you ask me for them, and I'll do them. God tells them, this is what I want for you. Now ask me for this. See, the Bible tells us to be alert in prayer and pray by the Spirit. I know that praying in the Spirit in the New Testament sometimes means praying in other tongues. But often and always it means praying in the Spirit means that the Spirit is leading the prayer. That The Spirit is praying through us that, that, that we are being led through prayer. We're being led in our prayer. That's why it says stay alert in an attitude of prayer. 
Sometimes I just want to go through and name the checklist of the people I know are in trouble. But when the Holy Spirit prays through you, you'll pray for people that seem to be doing fine, but God's got more. What if we were like Epaphras? One, um, there were those in our number that said, I'm taking it as one of my God-given calls to bow my knee before the Father on someone else's behalf. That they would be full and complete in Christ. That they would walk and fully be assured of the will of God in their life. That they would, be, they would have a revelation of the inheritance, the riches of his inheritance in the saints. That they would know the power that's working within us. The power of the resurrection that works towards us who believe. Like, this is the kind of stuff that Paul prayed for the people of God. And, and Paul didn't just pray it because he was an apostle. He, he prayed it because this is what God's called us to do. Right. To intercede. This is exciting. You know, you know, when I was growing up, the idea of an intercessor was a miserable one. I was grumpy. I always have a burden for someone. Like, they just never seemed happy about it. Right? Like, I don't want to pray for these stupid people, but I will because I don't know. Something's going to happen to me if I don't. Well, gee, I don't want to be one of you. You know? I just have a, I just got this weight for the, I just, and I understand that. I understand that because, you know, there's, there's these words like labor and struggle. So I get it. But then I heard somebody talk about being a joyful intercessor. And I realized that Jesus interceded for the disciples all the time. And there were times, listen, there's times in the scripture where it says he sighed deeply in his spirit. <laughs> like, can you imagine? Like, whoever wrote that down wrote it from eyewitness testimony of somebody looking at him going, that's a sigh I've never seen before. It's like, it's not just a physical sigh. It's like deep in my spirit. I'm sighing because I'm so worn out with you. There are times where Jesus straight up said to his disciples, how long do I have to be with you? I'm counting down the days when I can just be done with you. Like, if we just go, Jesus wouldn't say something like that to me, his precious sheep. Why would he ever say that? So, yeah, there was times where he was, you know, having to work for him and with him. But, boy, did he have gladness above everybody else. And the scripture says it was because he was anointed with the oil of gladness. See, if you go back into the Old Testament, the oil of gladness is one of those things that keeps you going when everyone else would have quit. It, it enables you to do hard things with joy. And the joy of the Lord is your strength. So as I close, may, can I just put it out there? There's an oil of gladness for people who will intercede. There's joy in the intercession. There's labor, yes, but there's joy. And Paul talked about it a lot. He talked about the crown, and he talked about the reward, and he talked about the, 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 the great feeling of joy to see people finally walking in their call. He said it was worth it. It was worth my laboring. And you know, we have a really good example of that in our own lives. When a woman who's labored and fought to give birth to a child gets to hold that child. Not one of them says, I wish I hadn't done it. Not one of them says, boy, I wish I could go back and undo all of that. When they're holding the child, it's worth it. And I believe there are things that God's put in this body. Like a pregnant woman. 
that need to be birthed, that need to come to completion. You know, that's, that's a, mature, a maturing of a birth. That's, that's when it comes to full term. When it comes to full term, it's got to come out, right? It doesn't stay in. There's a prophet in the Old Testament that says, I feel like we've been in labor and haven't been able to give birth. You know what I mean? We're always on the edge of something. We push, we've never, we, we feel like a, a woman in labor that hasn't been able to give birth. God says in a different place, he says, I would not cause you to be in labor if I wasn't going to cause you to give birth. So the labor of intercession is always to give birth to something that God's doing. There's a, there's a joy in that. And I just want to tell you that your prayers are so valuable in this body. Your prayers are so effective. And the Bible says the prayers of a righteous person has a big effect. And I know that I've often, (laughs) I've in the past used the phrase, I'm praying for you as a way to end the conversation. (laughs) Right? I'll be praying for you like I gotta go, you know. But now I've got to the place where I don't say that unless I'm absolutely sure I'm gonna do it. And now, I've told you this before, but now if I text somebody I'm praying, I stop what I'm doing and I pray for them right then. Because I understand that most of the church says they're praying for somebody. And if they actually were, we would see so much. Most of the time, it's just people saying we're praying for them. And I know that there's times, you know, Jesus said, you don't have to be like the Gentiles who think they're heard because they pray with so many words. Sometimes a short prayer is powerful. Often, if you just have faith that God's in the prayer, this is what I'm supposed to pray. But there's other times where there's, there's, like Epaphras, where you are laboring earnestly, like you're, you're going to fight through it until you know it's time to quit. I think love will cause you to do that. So can we commit to that? Mm-hmm. I'm not going to tell you what that looks like or how long you need to pray, and I'm not going to make you, I'm not going to hand out sheets for everybody and you log your time in. But I think there could be a significant change in the atmosphere of our city, mm-hmm. in the body of Christ. If we could get some people with this mission right here to say that the church needs to grow up, not just grow, grow up. The church needs to mature. And yeah, we can just beat people over the head and say, you guys need to grow up. Stop being like kids. But I think there's a lot, a lot of power to say, I'm going to pray them through this. They're hitting the ceiling. They don't know how to grow. They keep hitting the same wall, you know, keep coming up against it. They can't break through. So I'm going to join with them in prayer that they would break through that wall and that they would come to a place of maturity in Christ. Our hearts would be knitted together in love and we would grow up in all aspects into him. Stand up with me and let's pray together.